2: You know, one of the common things across these groups, and what sort of allows them to be labeled a cult, (laughs) you can easily see that there are these patterns of behavior and patterns of the kinds of rules and norms. And each group might call it something different, but in its essence, it's there to achieve a certain thing, which is the conformity and the obedience. So they will use what I call high arousal techniques. And this may be a certain type of meditation that's very forceful. It may be certain kinds of body movements uh, that keep the person aroused. So one effect of that is that that it exhausts you, but also it keeps you from being able to think straight. I mean, how can you possibly think when, for hours on end, you're doing this, or you're shouting at each other, or you're you're in this high-intensity environment? And so it, it basically shuts down a person's critical thinking abilities. You're not able to stop and say, wait a minute, what is going on here? Because you're just wrapped up in this almost mob mentality of everybody engaging in whatever this physical exercise is. So the high arousal technique is one of the most powerful things.
3: What is up everybody? My name is James D. Fury, and this is BlackBald. Um, that was the voice of my guest today. We have been covering the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church a lot uh, on the Dean Blundell Network and on this show. And uh, we, we've had ex-members. Uh, we've had our own takes on what the uh, organization is. But um, I think it was time, and and, and last week uh, we were going to have her on, um, but uh, she couldn't make it for that one. And we're glad that we have her today uh, because we really need – the expertise of somebody who actually knows um these types of organizations cults inside and out and uh the name that kept on coming up when i was doing my due diligence and when other people were advising me was this person her name is dr janya lalich is that right
2: yeah Yanya. it's like tanya only yanya
3: Yanya. You know, I even practiced it, guys, before I came on here. <laughs> That's how bad I am. That's how white right, I am, I guess. Not an easy name. <laughs> no. Um, but still, thank you for coming on the show. Um, we, like I said in the intro, we really, really kind of are desperate for somebody who is an expert on this stuff. Because as much as we like to rail against certain organizations, um, organizations that use religion especially as a sort of weapon in order to keep the flock sort of in check... We realize, at least I realize, that there is no replacement for someone like yourself who actually has an expertise in this. And so we, we're really thankful to have you. Can you give me like a, a kind of, uh, you know, quick sort of concise version of how it was? that you got involved in this kind of work, um, starting with the Democratic, what is it called, the Democratic Workers Party, I think, that you were mm-hmm. involved in, which was, I guess, a cult in hindsight or while you were still there. Can you just give us a little bit of background on that?
2: Sure. sure. Um, when I was 30 years old, I joined um, a political cult. It was left wing. We were going to you know, make the revolution. Um, I had just moved back to America after living in Spain for four years. And so I was new in town and making new friends. And I got invited by one of their front groups to join a study group. Anyway, from there, I got recruited into the background organization. And obviously, I didn't know it was a cult. I thought I had really found meaning and purpose and a really serious group of people. Um, But in fact, you know, for me, for all of us, it was 10 and a half years of absolute Brutal, nonstop work, 18 hours a day, um, lots of sitting around in circles and criticizing each other. Everything was done just to pump up the reputation of our leader. Um, And eventually, after 10 and a half years, um, we had our revolution and we overthrew our leader, which is quite unheard of in the world of cults. Um, And that's how I got out. And then from that, I started got my brain back together and then started studying and writing and went on to grad school to get my PhD. And here I am today.
3: Is that a typical type of cult? Like I always think of cults as um like the spiritual side is a prerequisite, but that doesn't sound like it's necessarily true. Is it? No,
2: a, a cult can have any ideology. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter what the belief system is. I mean, the belief system is basically kind of used as the glue to hold things together. But, but you know, there's therapy cults and there's UFO cults and there's martial arts cults and there's probably a chocolate chip cookie cult. I mean, there's absolutely every imaginable kind of organization because it depends on the structure and the role of the authoritarian leader.
3: And so the, the Democratic Workers' Party was a, mar- a radical Marxist-Leninist group? Yes. And so what was the... Like, I don't even know how to ask this. I don't even know what question to ask. What was the main thrust of this leader's purpose, stated purpose? It, was it to become, uh, to, for America to become a communist state? Like, what was the grand no, idea?
2: I mean, well, the grand idea was to eventually become a socialist state. But it, in the beginning, she kind of intimated that, that this revolution was going to happen soon. But then that kind of changed over the first couple of years. And then it was like, this is something that isn't gonna happen in our lifetime, but we're martyrs for the cause. So our role is to educate the masses and organize the masses. And at some point, all these various leftist organizations will band together and have this great revolution, but it'll be way after our time. So because we were martyrs, you know, we were willing to give our lives. I mean, this is how we were trained to be. And it was a um, not not a happy life.
3: <laughs> you, you said she. Is that rare yeah. for a woman to be the leader of a cult?
2: I, I wouldn't say it's rare. Um, I would say men are in the majority. And I think that just has something to do with, unfortunately, how men are often raised in our society to think they're superior. Um, but there are plenty of female cult leaders, yes.
3: You know, as soon as a man gets married, he realizes he's not superior. I don't know if you knew that. But... <laughs>
2: <laughs> not every man apparently <laughs> not the ones in uh, Plymouth sorry. Brethren. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah
3: right um well that's a good segue actually because um as you know we have had two specific member actually we've we've had two member ex-members sorry of the Plymouth Brethren Christian call and I keep on saying Plymouth Brethren Christian church because Richard told me something that there is sort of like offset groups that aren't as radical that are called like yes. the Plymouth Brethren church and yes. and apparently yes. they're two yes. different church. things you're right, you're yeah, right. yeah. so i don't want to be disrespectful right. to the totally normal um isolated christian groups <laughs> you know so I, I want to be as nice as i can um but when you when you so we've had richard marsh and we've had cheryl hope and and they've had totally different circumstances but they but the the heinousness that they experienced were both inside the the plymouth brethren christian church um you have you watched the last podcast that we did and and you've done a little bit of research yourself. What is your take? I'm going to bring Richard in in a moment. But I'm just wondering, like, just as a person who was not involved in in, in the organization, what is your take, your overall take on what this organization is like?
2: Well, first of all, I've known about the Plymouth Brethren for many years. Um, I've had people contact, you know, I've been doing this work for 30 some years now. So I've had people contact me in the past and I actually wrote a book um, called *Escaping Utopia*: uh, Growing Up in a Cult, Getting Out, and Starting Over. And some of the people I interviewed for that book were exclusive Brethren in the UK, which is one of the offshoots um, that you know goes back to the 1800s. Right. Uh, so, and I've actually had um, clients, also people who came to me for consultations, who were raised in the Plymouth Brethren in Canada. So I don't know if it was the same one. Um, And I I don't know if, if Cheryl and Richard were in the same church, uh, the same location. Um, But yeah, it's, it's, you know, for a long time it it has been identified as probably the most extreme of all of the uh, offshoots that happened because of schisms that happened over time for, you know, since the mid 1800s. And um, the Plymouth Brethren, both in other countries and in America are, um, well, and in Canada, sorry, are known to be the most extreme and the most um, doctrinaire, let's say.
3: When when I first heard of, uh, like, when when I first started talking to Richard specifically, I kept on thinking of Scientology. Like, Mm -hmm. it's all I thought about because... In his specific case, and I'm gonna again, I'm gonna bring him in right after this question. Um, his specific case it was it was like, you know, they basically hunted him down. They tried to hire, you know, people to like find him and hold him and hand him over to them as if they're some sort of authority. When he left, yes, and and I'll let Richard speak for himself. But uh, you know, in in a, uh, just a nutshell version of it is that he blew the whistle on something, and then they, you know, he became persona non grata. Um, you know. There, if you're if the Plymouth Brethren specifically, you need to be born into it.
2: Yes, they don't recruit. Uh,
3: yeah, what is like? I, it it seems like that is a massive characteristic difference between uh maybe a cult like you were in, and the Plymouth Brethren. Like to be born into an organization like that, that is almost impossible to escape from, isn't it?
2: It's very very difficult. I mean, I, I've worked with a number of people who were born in you know, a variety of groups, the children of God, uh, Scientology, as you mentioned, uh, many, many other groups. And when you get into second and third and fourth generation, um, it's, it's extremely difficult. And for the children, obviously, they didn't make it. You know, it's one thing. I was 30. I was an adult. I joined. You know, I have to take responsibility for that. Um, yes, I was deceptively recruited, but I joined. I was an adult, but for kids, that's all they know. It's it's their entire world. And then, depending on how that particular cult deals with children, um, their lives are going to be marked in in very deep and intense ways. Because, you know, typically a child should have loving parents, be raised in a healthy environment, have other relatives around, etc., etc. And kids in cults um, don't get to experience any kind of independence or autonomy or the typical stages of childhood development
3: yeah um maybe that's a good time to bring in richard richard marsh welcome to black good to see you again buddy um you were a kid in a cult you were a kid born in a cult um what, what uh what what dr lalich is saying makes a lot of sense to me as a total outsider that's never been in a cult except for the fact that i was catholic when i grew up but that's An accepted cult, I would say. Um, I used to lie in confession, so that was fun. (laughs) (laughs) I don't go there. (laughs) I used to lie in confession, and then the next uh, the next month.
1: Lying, so. Well, the next month I would
3: go there and I'd be like Father Murphy. It's been a month since my last confession. These are my sins. Uh, Most of the sins I told you last time I was in this booth were complete lies, and. I feel like I've already said my Hail Marys, so let's split the difference and let me go. <laughs> but, you know, it still felt like a cult on the service. Sorry for the segue or for the uh, trail off. Um, Richard, w- what? give me an idea of what it's like, like, like um, to be a child in that environment in hindsight. Because I know that when you're there and, you know, the indoctrination is from the day you were born, it's really hard to know. You don't know anything else, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, you don't know anything else. Um, And also, uh, I mean, I was a generation that went to a normal school. I went to ordinary public school as a child. um, And that brought all kinds of additional misery on my head because, of course, you were immediately perceived by the other children as being very different didn't have radio, didn't have television. You had to sit out of religious assemblies. You had to sit out of sex education. You had to sit out of all the Christmas events. Um, so you were kind of persecuted by the other children. And, you know, mm-hmm. children could be cruel and thoughtless um, because of that. Um, so that kind of all landed on top of the whole you know, weird upbringing thing anyway.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: But but uh, in some ways, while the children in the Plymouth Brethren now have their own schools, so they don't get that same kind of bullying and sense of um, mm-hmm. personal isolation, they're actually in a far worse state. Because what mm-hmm. I did learn through going to a regular school is that I, I did make friends. There were There were people who were prepared to overlook my peculiarities. And I learned thereby that I was not special. I was not actually any different from them, that people outside in the world weren't actually all wicked, Um, which, of course, stood me in good stead when I finally left because I had, although I was incredibly naive when I left, I wasn't nearly so naive as the current generation of, of brethren who have never had their beliefs challenged anywhere at any time whatever and genuinely think that everyone out there in the world has a black and wicked heart and even if they try and show you kindness it's purely the the blood-stained hands of the devil trying to draw you into the wicked world so um i am thankful for the awful years of misery that was going to a non-brethren school a real school because it gave me some it gave me some backbone i think and it also gave me an understanding that a a deep understanding that was buried under the doctrine that people out there were exactly the same as i was
3: yeah it's interesting that you say that because um even just a microcosmic example, like when you were talking about be, going to a public school and sort of being the odd man out. I remember going to mass with my class, and the one Jewish kid and then the one Jehovah's Witness kid wouldn't go up and get communion, and it was like every single time there was a bunch of us who were like, right. like felt felt sorry for him. There was a couple people that bullied them. There was a peop- but yeah. they were stared at, right? Like they were they were the others. You know, and it just must have felt very strange for you.
1: Well, it's very bizarre because I remember distinctly every, I mean, in in the UK, they always have a, a Christian assembly at the beginning of each school day. They don't do that here, which is actually a good thing, I believe. But because it was a Christian assembly, I had to sit outside the hall while the whole of the rest of the school was in the hall. And there were benches outside under the coat racks. And there were three there were three people sitting there. There was me. I couldn't go in because I was a uh, I was brethren. There was a girl sitting there who was open brethren who was another branch of the from the same original um you know brethren root. Um I couldn't you know have communion with her or eat a meal with her because she was a different kind of brethren, but she equally couldn't join the join the school assembly. And then there was uh, a, a lad my own age who was uh, exclusive brethren, if you like, but he'd been withdrawn from. The family had been withdrawn from. So I wasn't supposed to have anything to do with him either. Hmm. So there were the three of us, not only separating from all the wicked children in the hall, but also separating from each other. And the three of us out there were all kind of different grades of brethren.
3: It's almost like... a. Uh uh freemasons you know how there's different levels right and you're supposed to only associate with people at your degree yeah you know? yeah
1: well i don't know but yeah I'll <laughs> well believe you. that's the only <laughs> analogy that i'll come up with um
3: yes uh, dr yeah. lalich you said that it was one of the most extreme examples um what did you mean by that and what what is a less extreme example like well, what has to happen for something to be considered the most extreme
2: well i i think they, you know they they follow what they call the doctrine of separation and that's exactly what richard's been talking about they they stay as far away f- from p- other people as possible people in the world right and they they believe that the the entire rest of the world is wicked as, as he was just describing his experiences that's far more extreme than say let's take the jehovah witnesses who at least they go out and stand on corners and knock on doors and try to talk
3: to social. Yeah.
2: At at least they try to recruit. I mean, or other groups that, you know, uh, you know, don't forbid their, you know, the brethren, you're not allowed to eat with anyone who's not a brethren. So if you go into a restaurant and there's other people there, you won't eat in the same room with them. You can't go to other people's homes who aren't brethren. I mean, there's an incredible, um, extreme isolation of that community, which, which is quite rare, uh, in, in because it's not like they're living out in the middle of the nowhere. These, you know, there are these churches in every urban area. I mean, there's at least forty-five thousand members worldwide, and they say there's, you know, a thousand missionaries traveling around. But so, so that that biblical literal, literalism and the doctrinal purity is certainly. One way that that they are extreme and, and just the, you know the, the ex, the ex, you know the treatment of women is pretty much like that in I'd say most fundamentalist cults or even fundamentalist churches. Um, I think they're a little bit more extreme. They you know the women have to sit in the back. The women actually can't even speak uh, during the meetings. Uh, they have to go to meetings every single day of the week and something like four or five on Sunday. You know, so there's just an absolute overdose, uh, if you want, if you will, of the indoctrination that's just happening every single moment of your life. Um, whereas, yeah. other, uh, you know, most of them work for other brethren, um, you know, so it's just so if they leave, they lose everything. They're shunning. You know, no one will ever talk to them again. They lose their families. They lose their job. It's you know, it's very extreme.
3: Yeah. Richard, I, I, I mean, you said uh, what was it last week, I think? You were talking about how um, the the brethren where you were, I think it was in Cambridge, had access to one newspaper. But then you told me why, and I was like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> just because I thought it was like, "Well, we would like to isolate them as much as possible, so only give them one media to look at." But that's not the reason at all, was it?
1: No, no, it was a very, it was a strange kind of anomaly because the um, the, the the brethren prophets, their leaders. Um, over the years had always hated journalists they 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 said the man of sin would be a journalist, and the media was wicked and yet curiously, among you know they banned nearly everything but they did let you have newspapers, not kind of tabloid newspapers, but respectable um newspapers and I figured out after I left that the reason for that was that the newspapers present an incredibly negative view of the world so I mean, if you came from another planet and you were to read a, a Toronto newspaper uh, without having any knowledge, for example, of Toronto, um, it would have, you know, accounts of of rape. It would have accounts of uh, people being shot. It would have a whole load of crime statistics. It would have a load of criticism of politicians. Uh, and so I realised that the newspapers, um, you know, full of sin as they were, actually served the brethren leadership very well in that they reinforced to the you know to the flock as they call them this idea that the world is a irredeemably wicked place and it's sinking lower every day um now of course in reality we know that it's just the nature of newspapers that they report a whole lot of crime and Toronto is one of the safest and nicest places to live on the globe <laughs> And the chances of you actually getting shot in Toronto, unless you happen to be a drug gang member, is is less than the chance of being hit by a meteorite and certainly less than the chance of getting raped in the PBCC. But um, so that was, you know, part of their strategy. It, it reinforced the the lie they were putting out that the whole world was wicked.
3: Yeah, and and, and that isolationism is... It's weird too because um a person in your situation who who is who left and there's all these circumstances of course attached to why you left and everything but um the first time that i i heard your story from you on on uh, an, an earlier podcast i was heartbroken because of the um impossible position that your family becomes in when when they are still there and how strange it is for me to hear you Um, not nonchalantly, but almost like matter of factly state that it's not really the parents who are the number one and number two people in the kid's life. It is this entity known as the church. And I was just stunned that, that, you know, that leaders can have sway over the children of people that are members of the flock. And, um, you know, since you've been gone, has there been any, like, do you ever get kind of like uh, lost in this, like, um, perpetual strategic kind of mindset of how you can save them? Like, does that happen or is it just almost an impossible situation?
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I definitely have a strategy to save them. But um, as I'm sure Yanya will tell you, it's it's very, very difficult to drag someone out of a cult unless they come to their own convictions. And in fact, attempting to do so will tend to, cause them to become more deeply embedded. So for that reason, and and people do find this hard to understand, I have never contacted my children and said to them, hey, you know, this is a filthy, wicked cult, and they're abusing you and they're using you, because it would would actually drive them deeper in, and it would give the priests in there the opportunity to badmouth me and tell them a whole load more lies about me. So my strategy to get them out is not to kind of drill a hole in the wall and pull them through it. My strategy to get them out is to demolish the whole damn prison and then they can climb out through the rubble. Um, yeah. yeah, good I luck. I love that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and, I mean, and he's right. You, can, you know, people, it has to be there. Not, not that some people haven't had interventions and perhaps they worked, but even the people who did interventions don't. Do them in that same way anymore and you know i i have this idea i have this concept that you know every everybody who's in one of these organizations a a high control church cult whatever it is um, you know business whatever they have doubts, they have doubts, but they can't, you can't express those doubts because there's no way to do that. You get punished, right? Or you see examples of other people who did and boom, you don't wanna go there. So you keep piling these doubts in the back of your head, right? And then one day something happens, you either see something or you're asked to do something or you observe the leader lying or whatever, One, just one more thing and that's gonna break that shelf. Then at that moment, the person they're not going to leave right then, but the person might start thinking, maybe this isn't healthy for me, maybe this isn't the greatest you know be all and end all in the world and then it and then they have to find their way out and so what I always say to people on the outside is you know, be that safe haven, don't spend your time confronting them and challenging them, but just be you know let them know that you're that place if they ever want to leave or change their mind or whatever, want a vacation. They can come to you, they can stay with you you 're not going to bug them you 're not going to question them you 're going to let them sleep or do whatever they want to do because it's you know Richard would know it's one of the hardest things anyone can ever do is because you're you're leaving your entire worldview not to mention all your human connections, and that 's a difficult step to take
1: richard they the brethren have a have a strategy um, of mind control that's very very potent and that is they tell you that god knows all your thoughts everything you're thinking about and they tell you to have a doubt is sin and right. so then of course you don't you, you can't even let yourself think uh, think a doubt you can't let right. yourself think a criticism because immediately your conscience kicks in and exactly. and I don't know I mean and and Yanya can speak to this exactly what the human conscience is, I mean, it, it's some evolutionary mechanism that tells us that some things are good to do and some things are bad to do, but the Brethren in particular, and I suppose in many religions to some extent, hijack that mental faculty we have, and they teach you, they make you feel guilty about a whole range of things uh, that just simply suits their agenda. One of the things they make you feel incredibly guilty about is... Thinking is doubting. Doubting yeah. is terrible, and they tell yeah. you that. They tell you that um, you know a wicked thought is a poison, and mm-hmm. a wicked actions spring from wicked thoughts. And, and and so you you talk about critical thinking, but you you never even start down that road. Right. If you right. did start down that road, you would very very quickly Stump. see through the whole thing. But right. mentally, you you're mentally blocked from starting down that pathway. Which is why it's so very, very difficult. it's why it's so pointless to try and engage these persons in conversation because they that they will literally they will literally block their ears and turn their back on you because they feel it's sinful even to listen to you. Right. My
3: sister used yeah. to do that when she was a kid. Yeah. No, no, I've witnessed children. it. I've
1: witnessed I witnessed my own cousin in his twenties standing on the street and someone was questioning him about his beliefs and he was literally putting his hands over his ears and turning his back and then he would whip round to make another remark and then he would slam his hands over his ears and turn his back again. he looked a complete idiot but i mean that's the mentality i mean
2: i think what you know what a lot of people i think don't understand is this is what indoctrination is and how it works and it's it's one reason i don't use the the term mind control because i feel that it's a very kind of mechanical term and um it does it, you know it, it's not really scientifically based but essentially what cults are doing is setting up this structure with this you know so-called infallible leader who can never be challenged uh who's all powerful they have this uh, extremist um doctrine, which is an all or nothing belief system. And by, by the fact that it's all or nothing means that the ends justify the means, which means you can be asked to do anything and it's for the greater good or your salvation or whatever it is they're telling you. And then there are these interlocking, what I call uh, systems of influence and systems of control so the controls are the really obvious things, like in this group, the rules about eating, the rules about clothes, the rules about women doing this, you know, all, all of the really overt stuff that's obvious, how many children to have all of that. But the, 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 the social psychological influences, in fact, I believe are much more powerful and go much deeper because that's where they're preying on your emotions and that's where they're attacking yourself. And the goal of the indoctrination system is to take apart yourself and recreate a new self in the image that the cult wants you to be. So for children, obviously this happens from birth. They don't even have to go after attacking the old self, but children also are rebellious just naturally. And so there are going to be times when children have to be, you know, taken to task, punished, beaten, whatever it is in whatever group. But this, this, um, Attacking the self where you then are doubting everything you believed before you you lose your sense of, of self-trust and self-confidence and more and more and more over time you become completely dependent on the on the leader particularly and the group and for for families, you know, in a cult there can only be one loyalty and that's to the leader mm-hmm. and and that includes parents and children. You know, and that's why I think people on the outside find it so, uh, you know, unimaginable that, you know, someone in a cult could let their child die, you know, which happens all the time because they're praying instead of helping the child or whatever it might be. But your only loyalty is to the leader. And in many cults, families are even broken up. The, the, and the actual biological parents don't even raise the kids. So by tearing apart yourself you get to this place in your mind that I call bounded choice. And what that means is that you have completely internalized the ideology and the beliefs and the behaviors and the thoughts. And at that point, you, you absolutely cannot imagine life outside the group. Life outside the group equals death, either literal or metaphorical. And so it's just as Richard was saying, you can't even entertain those thoughts. The minute you start doing it, you beat you, you, you know you beat yourself. You don't even need someone else to hold you accountable anymore. Right. And when you get to that state, yes, you have free will because this always comes up, especially in court cases. But as I see it, your free will is altered by the will of the leader, and so your choices are constrained by that environment. And that's why it's hard for people to leave. And that's why I think it's hard for people on the outside to understand
0: That's shopify.com slash system.
3: I'm just curious, as you're talking there, I just thought of something and I'm just wondering um, are Western democracies these like robust petri dishes for cults to flourish because of things like privacy laws? No, really, because of things like privacy laws and freedom of religion and things like that. Like, how would a court system be, how could conceivably, just theoretically, a court system be used? to try to break an organization like what you described as being one of the most dangerous Christian cults in, in the world.
2: Right. So if a cult, um, declares itself a religion, for example, Um, in America, it's really easy to become a religion. I think you fill out a couple of forms and you say you have a couple of followers and voila, you're a religion. You know, I always thought about trying to do it with my dog and my cat as my followers. But anyway, (laughs) so once you're a religion, at least in America, nobody's going to touch you with a 10 foot pole. So in order to hold cults and cult leaders accountable, you have to go after whatever criminal activity they're engaged in. And then you can take them to court if there's if there's sexual abuse if there's sexual abuse of minors if there's uh, tax evasion if there's medical malpractice if there's um you know what take the example of of nexium the the uh, people probably remember the cult in new york that's been known as the sex cult you know they got him they got that leader on seven federal charges of things like sex trafficking child pornography um, you know, money laundering, et cetera, et cetera. It was like, you know, they, they saw it as a criminal organization, and it was. And he got a sentence of 120 years. Now, there are still some believers, a small, tiny group of believers who still believe in him and are trying to carry on, but they're pretty much, you know, mm. n- 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 of no significance. And everyone else was, a- was is able to get out and hopefully are getting some recompense because there's also a civil suit. So they have to commit crimes, and most of them do, and you have to have evidence of those crimes in order to try to hold them accountable. The rub is, the rub is more often than not, law enforcement, especially if you go to law enforcement. I had a case where a husband, his wife was giving away hundreds of thousands of dollars to some bloody energy worker who was every every minute of the day. He went to the police and said, you know, my, my wife's being hornswoggled by this guy. She's, you know, she's given him hundreds of thousands of our money. And the cop said, well, she's an adult. She's 40 years old. You know, she's doing it of her own free will. So until we can get the courts to understand this concept of coercion mm-hmm. um, and, and coercive influence and coercive control, it, that, that's going to help open up holding these leaders accountable.
3: And that's sort of what I was thinking about. That, you know, like, the you know, I don't know. I mean, it sounds like fraud. It sounds like a whole bunch of different things, this manipulative, right. you know, tactic that they take. Um, and I know, Richard, like, uh, I don't want to belabor the point, but the um, the excommunicated or the escapees or whatever you want to call an ex-member like yourself, the determination to destroy those people <laughs> is, is both confusing to me Mm -hmm. and yet still unsurprising do you know what i'm saying like why are they i mean your case is kind of a special one um but like just in general you know just the idea like why do they want to chase these people is it to set the example for the ones that are still there like why do they care so much
1: well um, i mean in my case it's because i knew too much um and i think really in in all the cases it's because people know know too much i mean look at Look at, look at Cheryl Hope's case, um, how much she knew, how damning it's going to be, how devastating that's going to be for the church. But it's, even, even if people maybe don't have a, a specific story of crime or criminal activity in the church, they will still chase them down to make an example of them because what, they, what the church doesn't want to happen is that anyone leaves and is seen to succeed. Because they need to continue mm-hmm. to prop up the lie that if you leave, you will fail, you will go to the wall, you'll end up in the gutter, you'll die of some horrible disease. Exactly. Um, and, and, and so they 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 want you to fail, they'll make you fail. You know, if you have a business, they'll interfere with your business to try and drag it down. Um, you know, they, they have this faith, they call it a faith, but actually... Um, the stuff they say is going to happen doesn't happen, so then they have to make it happen. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, it's the same with the politics. You know, if you know, if they, if there's a god that listens to their prayers, why do they need to interfere in politics? Why not just pray about it? I mean, yeah. you know, uh, it, it's a kind of they're kind of trying to make up for the deficiencies of their god, who doesn't always do what they say he's going to do. Uh, and that way they, they lose credibility. Right. right. But I mean, it's also, I, I mean, I've been thinking recently, you know, there's so many ex-brethren that have been followed around by private investigators. And in many cases, it's very obvious. Uh, these private investigators are not are not hiding themselves. They're very bold. Uh, and I realized that actually they want you to see the private yes. investigators. Yes. They want you to know you're being stalked because that's the intimidation. It's not actually that they want to investigate you or know anything about you. They want you to know that we're watching you mm-hmm. and that we know where you are. And if you speak out, we'll know where to come and get you. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Very and, aggressive. Sorry, go ahead, Dr. Lodge.
1: Well,
2: I was just going to say, I mean, this is why I said earlier, this is one of one of the more extreme because most groups, when you leave, they'll let you leave. You know, you leave... They may badmouth you within the group. They may, you know, cut off your family and all your relationships with anyone in the cult. But very few cults actually go after people. Um, my cult did sometimes, especially if the person knew a lot and they wanted to make sure to shut you up. Um, we know other groups that do that to some degree, but um, th- yeah, this is this is extreme, even even for cults yeah and um, i'd like to richard is it is it only the one there um in your community or or do the plymouth brethren are there other extreme churches as extreme in other parts of the world in terms of going after people
1: i i, I don't know i mean the the and as you were as you were kind of bringing out then the, the, the nomenclature if that's the word of the brethren is is complicated Uh, and the reason for that is that until uh, about um 2014 2012 the the brethren um insisted on being non-denominational it was actually foundational to their religion that they wouldn't take a name because to take an earthly name means you're no longer a heavenly church and they despised every other sect of Christianity because they, they took a name, which that's made it which made it very difficult um, for anyone to kind of hold them to account because they they right. had no name. They, and, and we were brought up that if anyone asks you, you know, what your faith is, you were to say we're just simple Christians and believers on the Lord Jesus. Yeah. You must never ever you were them a brethren because that's just that outsiders invented. And right. then, they, you know, then they, go gone. I was
2: just gonna say, there's another very large uh, fundamentalist cult um, that doesn't take a name either. They say it's against God to take a name, uh, but they're known as the two by twos. Uh, yes, and I don't know if yes, you've I've heard you know, of them. Yes, they're, they're in Australia, New Zealand, they're here. they are hundreds of thousands of members and they're very secretive. They only meet in houses, they don't have churches um, they don't recruit, you know, same type of thing. And I, I know quite a few people who were born into that. And
3: is that a Noah's Ark reference?
2: The two by twos, it, yeah. it could be. I mean, it is. When they do go out, they go out in twos. Like two men who are called workers will go out and I'm not sure that they don't really recruit, so I'm not sure what they exactly do. <laughs> but um, And it's the same thing. They don't have, like, a, a pastor. They have just elders. It's very, very similar. In fact, some of the articles and your former podcast, the first podcast I sent mm-hmm. to uh, someone I know who was born in the two-by-twos, I said, you're going to be blown away by the similarities.
1: I think that probably the biggest difference between the brethren and the two-by-twos is that the two-by-twos, uh, don't have this huge emphasis on financial prosperity. I suspect
2: not uh, for the members, but they there's a lot of money. Everybody turns right. over their money, so oh, it
1: all goes yeah, to the top. It's
2: very secretive about where yeah. the money goes. Is you that know?
1: one of those ca-
3: constant things that ca- these characteristics among cults is it? At the end of the day, if you look behind the curtain, is it really about leadership's greed? more than anything else? Or is it like, is there a psychological profile of a cult leader and does it often include money?
2: Yeah. Well, I would say, excuse me, most cult leaders are narcissists and um, most often fit the definition of a malignant narcissist, which means that they have some traits of psychopathy or sociopathy, which is when things can get really nasty. Um, But they're narcissists. It's all about them. It's all about whatever serves their needs. And it almost always seems to revolve around money, sex, and, of course, power. I mean, power is a given. But financial exploitation and sexual exploitation, I swear, turns up in almost every cult, whether it's led by a woman or a man.
3: Can't they just go to Vegas?
2: (laughs) The the leaders of Heaven's Gate did go to Vegas. That's right. (laughs) That, well, that, that so they gig, do, but did... they
1: need they need the money to go there, that's the thing. I mean, we were yeah. tracking we were tracking Bruce Hale's jet. You remember there was a fuss because someone was tracking Elon Musk's jet and he didn't like it. <laughs> so... um, we found the same kind of methodology and managed to track Bruce Hales' jet, which he had taken off the standard tracking systems. And damn me, if like four months ago, his jet suddenly disappears out of Australia in the middle of, you know, while everything else was still locked down, and makes a beeline for Vegas. <laughs> um, and then we published, and, and then it pops off to um, Puerto Rico, some very nice resort there for a few days. And Where then they
2: also call back
1: to Australia. <laughs> yeah. But meanwhile, his followers are not allowed to, are not allowed to go into a restaurant.
2: Right, um, I mean,
1: it's like- In McDonald's, I mean.
2: It's like Bhagwan Rajneesh, you know, he had his 93 Rolls Royces and every day he would pick a different Rolls Royce and drive down the long road um, on their property in Oregon and and all the followers would stand there in their orange robes like throwing roses at the car and crying as he drove by. I mean, who needs 93 Rolls Royces? I mean, it's just obscene.
1: Yes. Yeah, I, yeah. There's, there's, that, there's no yeah. limit to their ambition. I mean, they're never happy with what they've got. Exactly. I mean, the like, same. I suppose with a lot of billionaires and billionaires and businessmen, they they work their fingers to the bone until they die to make another billion, and and don't get a chance to enjoy it because it's actually the making money that is the incentive. Yeah. But, but and just the power.
3: The but the power yeah. though. Like like I know a guy. His mom who uh, who passed away. She was a really nice lady, but she. She had Parkinson's disease, and she, it turns out she gave like 75 grand a year to Benny Hinn. Mm. And I'm just like, I'm so confused why law, like modern laws have not caught up to that type of manipulation and behavior and the ability to extract money from people by preying on their, in, in this case, their literal sense of survival. If I pay this man money, Jesus might save me. Why isn't that a crime? Like freedom just...
2: of religion, freedom of religion, at least in America, freedom of
3: religion.
1: Yeah, here too. I um, mean that's what's that's what's scary. I mean, bringing it up to date with um Poly Evra, he's um who's the sort of now uncontested conservative leadership candidate, is he's banging this freedom of religion drum. Well, thank you, we have freedom of religion. What he actually means is that uh, religious, weird religious cults should be allowed to do obscene and unpleasant things without the government daring to intervene. We need right. just a little bit less freedom of religion. Thank you very much.
2: And for us here, it's, you know, freedom of religion means imposing your religious values on the rest of us.
1: Yes. <laughs> freedom to <laughs> now the supreme
2: it Now the Supreme
3: yeah. Court is a cult. It seems <laughs> like, you know. Certainly ideological. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and so, 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 it feels like there's no solution though. That, that that's the frustrating part. like the the individual inside the cult, it's really up to them, right? Like aside from the criminal charges that you could pursue if you can find any. Mm-hmm. Is that yeah. sort of the tragedy of it, or
2: yeah, the tragedy of it is there are just thousands and thousands, millions probably, of people in cults and thousands who've left. I mean, I've been teaching these courses on Zoom. Uh, recovery courses for survivors of cults and and other kinds of abusive situations but you know i'm here in america we've had people from canada of course from holland from sweden from mexico from spain from norway from england i mean there's from slovenia i mean there is such a demand for help for people when they get out of these groups and for people to not stigmatize them oh you stupid person you joined a cult but, yeah, I think this is a problem we're always going to have. And um, the, mo- the most we can do, I think, is some kind of broad-based education so people understand better how not yeah. to be taken advantage of.
3: I, I remember thinking um, that the, the Trump base felt cultish to me. Um, mm-hmm. And I know there's probably varying degrees of what culture. So, I mean, but, but, you know, you had your figurehead, all-powerful he could do no wrong and say no wrong. And people got really lost in that. And um, I I was, I was confused, but I was fascinated for one thing because I was like, how can this self-evident rodeo clown dipshit actually like mobilize millions of people? How is this possible? Um, And I don't really know the answer to that still, but in Canada, um, because of what's, uh, you know, we've been working, we're like the only outlet really that's even talking about this group right now. and. And there might be one other and, you know, but I'm not going to let go of it because I share Richard's penchant for destroying it. Right. <laughs> I really want to right, with the truth, by the way, too. But um, I want to go back again to what you said about how it is like a really dangerous or the most dangerous Christian kind of offshoot cult. And then um, I wrote this Stephen Harper, Pierre Poilier and the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church. That is our prime minister in 2006 swearing uh on a Plymouth Brethren Bible when right. he was sworn into office and the group is tied into politics so deeply that even the prime minister's former personal attorney is the general counsel for the cult wow how i, I mean does does this happen in other countries like does he, the the does the united states have a problem with scientologists funding politics is this rare? Like, or do you even know the answer to that question? Well, I'm asking Dr. Lalish. Yeah.
2: Uh, churches aren't supposed to get involved in political causes, um, and that's one of the things that could be a violation. It's one of the things a lot of people here are screaming about, because, of course, they do. Um, but, you know, what, <clears throat> what it can lead to, of course, is, you know, where you have people like Hitler and Kim Jong Un in North Korea and Chairman Mao in China, where you have entire nations that become cults in a sense um, because of the power of, of who's heading the country. And, you know, Chairman Mao and certainly in Russia and all those, those communist countries were indoctrinating people like crazy. It's basically the same kind of stuff that goes on in, in the cults today same type of thought reform and um, it when they get their fingers or nails or whatever it is that they get into politics that you know that's a problem and you know Canada is not a big country so you know I think it could it could be concerning for you the, the extent I read that article and I was pretty much horrified I was like whoa this is way more than I was aware of
3: well me too Richard is sort of the horn of plenty when it comes to the fucked up shit that the cult does, right? Like, you know, to part of my French. But, you know, and Richard, this is a big, this is a mainstay for the Plymouth Brethren, right? Like every country that they operate in, they tether together their interests with political interests and then feed their own businesses, basically. Is that right?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, they've always been in. Well, I say always since um, since since Bruce Hales, the current incumbent um uh, prophet, man of God, elect vessel, whatever you want to call him, um, we call him the Mog. Um, <laughs> since he got in, he he really ramped up the political. I mean, yeah, they used to be interested in politics when I was a kid, in kid, in the sense of they would, when an election came up, they would all be praying about it, you know, that some godly, god fearing person might get in. But when I was a when I was a child. They were never actually really engaging with politicians, except occasionally if there was some matter that affected them, like um, trade unions membership, they were concerned about because it was against their religion to be a member of a trades union. So they wanted an exception for Brethren members, so they didn't have to join. So they would make representation to government about that, which was fairly harmless. But since bruce hales got in it's aggressive political campaigning i mean they they uh you know they're going out on the street they will have they'll dress up with masks on i mean in in tasmania they had a campaign against the green party which they hated um and they're actually driving like a float through the streets with um brethren members wearing pig masks and slogans and and you know the most aggressive loud political campaigning and it always comes back and bites them on the bum, but they, they just carry on. I've seen Hale.
3: I've seen that Hales guy before. You sure it just wasn't his face.
1: Well, yeah, it could be. Maybe they were just wearing leader masks. I don't know. But I mean, (laughs) uh, pigs are nice. I like pigs. Um, uh, uh, Richard is, is Bruce Hales. That's his name. Yes.
2: Is he, is he the mug of all of the, Plymouth Brethren churches
1: around the world. Absolutely, it's highly centralized. I mean, oh. it's incredibly centrally controlled. I mean, it Excellent. says on their website they have 300 autonomous assemblies, and when you read "autonomous," you just roll over on the floor laughing because <laughs> everything, everything is a. You, no one in the church can get married. None of those 55,000 people can marry without his specific permission and blessing. You can't no, move like to a different city without his specific permission and blessing. It's incredibly tight control. And I mean, if you. He must be really busy. Yeah, very busy. <laughs> well, I mean, he's got a little clique. He's got three of his sons and one of his sons in law, which are like the sort of.
2: Because way. usually the cult leaders don't do very much.
1: They're usually pretty lazy. Well, yeah, no. he. I, I don't know whether he's semi retired and his sons run it, but. There's this dark black hole and it's the clique and it's the five, these five people. But normally it all comes from the mog himself, but I expect he delegates it to his son. But he doesn't trust anyone outside his family with anything serious. So it's incredibly um, tightly controlled.
3: We we have about five minutes left, so I'm going to ask this to both of you. Um, Dr. Lalish, maybe you can go first. you saw the podcast with Cheryl Hope, one of the bravest women I think I've ever met, at least met in the digital sense. Like I, I consider her to be a friend because of all the stuff that we've sort of like gone through together in a sense, obviously her a lot more than me. Um when a person escapes and they've and they've experienced that kind of heinous abuse, is there a process for them that is just entirely different than uh another type of victim who was not in a cult but was able to get away from their situation is it a double whammy for them is it a mental emotional physical all that like how 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 does the difference work and what would you recommend um to the people who are? because it sounds like there's going to be a few more uh people who are going to be escaping um probably in the next little while because of the bravery that Cheryl showed so is there any advice that you could give to people that may be watching that may be thinking about that or what to do after they leave
2: sure and and i also want to mention there's a cult in edmonton where pretty much the same thing is happening um it's um i think about 70 people have left so far out of about 400 so and it's because a woman came forward with um her story of sexual abuse by the leader anyway uh the thing uh, the the kind of trauma that's experienced in cults is not your typical PTSD or post traumatic stress disorder it's what we call complex PTSD because it's relational right it means that the it's something that that happened to you or that you witnessed and that it went on for a longer period of time it wasn't just like one car accident or your house burned down and that was traumatic and you know things like that so complex PTSD unfortunately is not yet recognized by the american psychiatric association which is wow. completely crazy uh, people have been trying to get that changed for decades now but i think most um most people certainly like me in the field who are cult aware uh, understand it and understand the difference in the symptoms and actually the courses that i've been doing we're also training therapists so that more therapists understand how to work with these kind of clients um, so the thing to do is kind of just get, you know, take time, be, debrief, rest, relax. Um, I hate to mention my own book, but I will. But my book, Take Back Your Life, uh, Recovering from Cults and Abusive Relationship, has been around for quite a while now. It's very, very helpful to many people. Um, and also, I mentioned earlier, my book, Escaping Utopia, especially if you were born in the group. And the best thing is to try to find a, some kind of counselor or therapist who is aware of this kind of trauma or who is at least willing to learn about it um, and perhaps find some kind of support group of other former members, not necessarily of your group, but of other groups. Thank you.
3: Um,
2: You're welcome. So that, <laughs> that, you- was, that was an
3: on-the-fly <laughs> plug, everybody. But go ahead.
2: <laughs> um, so yeah i think that you know the best thing is to to give yourself time it takes time and not pressure yourself and not compare yourself to anyone else so and so is so much better recovered than i am we each have our own journey
3: yeah and richard other than gasoline and matches which i'm totally down for um (laughs) uh, as a person who's
2: on this podcast (laughs) i'm
3: sorry i'm sorry i'm just joking i'm just kidding i would never burn down that many churches i swear to you um i'm just kidding Um, Richard, as a person who has escaped and as a person who's been there, um, you know, communicating with Cheryl and other people who have escaped with that Facebook group that you guys, I, I love that group, by the way, I think it's, and you know, what's really hilarious about that group, actually ex members are funny. They're funny people mm-hmm. like, they, they, like maybe that's part of the coping mechanism is to, yes. to sort of see humor and stuff. But, um, Richard, what, what, would you, what advice would you give or what, what do you know that you could sort of share with us that, um, that, that works for people when, when they do leave?
1: Well, well, I think the hardest thing for me and probably one of the hardest things for people leaving leaving the the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church is that they instill in you as part of their doctrine a sense of Mm self-hatred and absolute negation of any self-worth, which is extremely difficult to overcome. And it makes it very hard to, particularly in the first couple of years, it's very, very hard to even believe that you can, that you will get better, that you will get beyond it. Uh, and you have to learn to love yourself. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's a blasphemy inside the church. Talk about loving yourself inside the church would be a terrible, blasphemous thing to say because you're supposed to hate yourself. Right. Um, and, and so you have to be... Uh, I mean, when I left the church, I, I went around... When I left the cult, I went around a few conventional churches, more out of curiosity just to see what they were like and i w- i went into a catholic church in in norwich uk uh, and it was it was a very odd experience um but there was a there there were these there was a priest there who was preaching and he was wearing bright green robes i think it was brazilian he was he was a very nice very nice chap and and i really didn't expect to get help from a from a catholic priest of all people Um, but he he gets up and i was expecting some sort of sort of exposition of scripture and and so on and he says and he was just talking about you know be good to yourself be be, be Mm -hmm. a little kind to yourself you know don't be too hard on yourself and and that was actually a bit of a light bulb moment to me because i was still in the mindset and the Mm -hmm. mental frame of you have to work incredibly hard, and you 'll never be good enough and you're a wretched wicked person and and I think I kind of took that on and i I started being a little kind to myself uh, and just doing <laughs> uh, things because I felt uh, like doing them and not feeling guilty about going to the pub and having a nice steak and chips just because I felt like doing that and um, uh, there's a, there's an well interesting started irony. Started yeah
3: there's, there's an interesting irony in that because um and I was just talking about this with my sister not too long ago about how I live in the country now like i used to li- I lived in Toronto my whole life, and every time I took my kids uh, with my wife to to swimming lessons, we have to pass by this one property that has this gigantic crucifix crucifix oh. on the on the lawn and when you're ta- you're talking to me about going to a Catholic church and and sort of sitting in and then talking to a priest, and my brain is just thinking about the man like I find it very strange that we live in a world where an image, an iconic image of a man who's got nails through his wrist bones and ankles, with a big cut on his side and cuts all over his head, tortured basically is like a symbol of salvation. And then during the actual like uh, mass, cannibalism, <laughs> the Eucharist, and, and so it's. I feel like that is a cult. Like I feel like all of it is are cults. I, religion itself, Catholicism, Evangelicalism, Dominionists, you name it cult and I know that they're not as serious and stuff but like um, I find it interesting that you saw like there was solace that you legitimately found and good for you but in the place that wasn't as bad as your place but still has cannibalism and tortured men as their mainstays do you find that odd
1: (laughs) well it was odd and as I said it wasn't the place I was expecting to get help I went there out of curiosity Mm -hmm. Uh, but it was just I I mean I suppose in this day and age, uh, pastors and priests and people in sort of respectable, organized religion are actually trained to some extent in psychology and how to care for traumatized people um, and how to actually care for people quite apart from their religious belief. And of course, the priests in the exclusive Brethren, Plymouth Brethren Christian Church are not trained in any of that. I mean, Mm. they will be going off with you know, they'll, your teenage daughter has had some kind of liaison with some young brother, um, you know. And, of course, that's a huge, a huge, huge issue. And so a couple of priests will turn up at your house in the evening and they'll take your daughter off in a car um, to probably a lay-by or their, probably their business premises, which is all closed down and quiet, and they'll take her off for a couple of hours and they'll be grilling her about her you know sexual experimentation you know perfectly innocent stuff that um everyone would do except of course in the brethren you're not allowed to do that and and these people i mean not only are they basically sexually frustrated middle-aged males but they have absolutely zero training at all in psychology or child psychology or basic pastoral care or anything of that nature. They're they're just the guys who happen to rise to the top in the kind of scrum that's the Plymouth Brethren. Because it's unstructured. There's no theological college. There's no training. There's nothing. And and so basically, it's the most nasty and ambitious people that rise to the top. And these are the people who are taking care. that They'll take your children out of your own house. They'll grill them about their sexual experimentation or whatever you want to call it for two hours in some remote business premises. And then about midnight, they get dropped off back home. Yeah, I mean, I mean time and time and time again in my household. And you, you never know- think, because you're so indoctrinated that this is the way things happen, you never think, well, you know, my daughters might be in danger from these people. Maybe yeah. these people are, you know, it's an incredibly exposed position. Uh, and you, yet you never even think that you know this is wrong and yet anyone else any regular person in the world if a couple of guys turn up and want to take your daughter off to their business premises and talk to her about sex for two hours
3: over my dead body
1: go with <laughs> but this, this happened today this evening probably hundreds of young brethren girls and boys are being grilled by middle-aged or to elderly male priests in remote locations away from their parents all around the globe and then you wonder why there's sexual exploitation going on in the church
3: Mm. well listen um maybe one of the um positive ancillary benefits of living in a newly woke world is that um the misogyny and the sexism that clearly permeates in these organizations and these chapters will be called out at least like i i don't even know like i i'm totally at a loss as to how we are going to successfully destroy this organization (laughs) i'm very much hopeful that we can but you know what i'm saying like we it's 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 clearly um like i I find that in a lot of religions i find you know and and i'm not afraid to say the that to criticize certain religions so like islam and catholicism and, and all and 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 certain orthodox jewish religions like the, the, it's grounded fundamentally it's anchored in misogyny like in 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 a, in a male lack of like like you know um like they just feel uh insecure to the point where they create systems to make sure that women don't do anything that might impact their sensibilities or their possessiveness and it's like and, and when it's obvious like this i i you know i i don't know why there isn't some sort of societal remedy i guess maybe i'm too idealistic i don't know leave it there (laughs) there was no question um but no but listen i appreciate you guys very much for coming on because like that that was very educational for me um dr Lalish, i'd love to have you come back um and 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 talk further about this kind of stuff richard i'll probably talk to you tonight on the telephone since we gab a lot like a couple of uh school chumps so i'm looking forward to that thank you very much for joining us guys i really appreciate it yeah
2: thank you for inviting me enjoyed it
3: thank you very much um, that was Dr. Yenya Lalich and Richard Marsh. I learned a lot. Um, left the episode feeling frustrated that it doesn't feel like there's very many uh, solutions that we, can, that we can find and, and implement because uh, we have this awesome freedom of religion and privacy laws in our society that seems to enable these groups. That's, that's one of the main lessons that I feel like I'm walking away with, like the, 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 the seemingly legal way that they operate. Um, you know, obviously aside from the abuse and all that, but the but the the brainwashing, the indoctrination, perfectly legal. <laughs> Buyer beware, I guess. Um anyways, I uh, I'm I'm really thankful to my guests again, Richard Marsh and Dr. Yanya Lalish, and we will see you next time on Black Blackball.
1: Black Ball Black blackball. Black, 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 black